So while volume was still lower, more people were making the choice to come over to a, a mobile option, which speaks to the long-term you know, impact and quite frankly, benefit that will come of working for a technology company such as pay by phone. You're listening to The Parking Podcast. Views and opinions are my own. The Parking Podcast is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, the world's largest association for professionals in the parking, mobility, and transportation industry. Learn more at parking-mobility.org. Welcome back to another episode of The Parking Podcast. With us today, is Carmen Donnell, Vice President of Sales North America at Pay by Phone. How are you today, Carmen? I'm doing so well, Isaiah. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of the podcast today. I'm really excited. Yes, it was actually a special request. A few people said, we would love to hear Carmen on the parking podcast. I'm not even kidding. So thank you for uh, agreeing to join. I loved, uh, yeah. You're, you're, I really you're want to know who those people are now. Backed by popular <laughs> demand. Yeah, it was <laughs> Maria Urshad was one of them for sure that said you'd be great. So hats off to Maria. All right. And I've loved following your, your career, impressive career with T2, pay by phone. But I think you had like a whole nother, like a whole different industry before all this, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But tell us, uh, Carmen, how you got into parking. Thanks. So like many people, I did not grow up dreaming to be a parking professional, but I was in my very early 30s and I knew that there was going to be a change to my personal situation that was going to require me to increase my income ability and also just have a more normalized hour set. I was previously working in healthcare and had been there for 12 years prior. And so there's a lot of shift work and overnight work and very set earning potential in the particular position that I was in. And so I was I was open to opportunities and I had a really good friend who had been hounding me for a couple of years to come and work for him at this parking company which of course was like are you really working for a company that sells parking what is that? And I had put him off for a couple of years and and reached out and said, "Hey, is this opportunity still available?" My you know, my situation's changing and it was. And after a couple of interviews, you know, the rest is now 14 year history for me. Hey, I'm coming up on my 14 year as well. Ooh. So we started together and there I got to, I got to know. So who is this mysterious person? Do I know the name? <laughs> you would probably know the name if you reach back into your memory bank of a number Chris of Jettle? years ago. No, it wasn't actually. It was Mikhail Morakovich and okay, he was yeah. a sales representative for digital payment technologies at the time. And uh, he and I met many, many, many years ago. We had children that went to school for kindergarten at the same school. And, you know, you stand outside the door and wait for the kids to come in and out. And you, you spark up a friendship with him and his wife. And, and that's where I came into the industry through him. That's a great story. And, and you, you, you hinted on it. You're, you're in your 30s and you have all this experience and education all pointed towards the healthcare industry. And then you make a complete 
big jump, something totally new. I'm going to ask you to go back in time. Kind of what was that like? You know, was it excitement, nervousness, dread? Uh, you know, someone maybe listening in that same kind of uh, point in their journey. So tell us about what that was like, feeling almost like you're starting all over. It was really a combination of all of those things that you said. So growing up from a very, very small child, I always thought I was going to be in something medically related. So very first it was veterinarian. And then I thought, oh, I don't know if I can see animals suffer and not be able to you know, understand them or communicate. So then I went to brain surgery. I'm going to be a brain surgeon. And then I thought, oh, that's really, really a high level of responsibility and one you know, tiny micro slip and you're changing somebody's life for the, for the worse. And so then I thought coroner. The people have already passed away, and so oh my I can't goodness. do any more damage. But I was really fascinated with with the body and and getting right in and seeing the inside of it. So, have you, have you heard of that Mary Roach book called Stiff? I haven't, oh. but now I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah, <I'm sorry. laughs> uh, yeah, it, it kind of talks about that the body and man. I don't want to get all our listeners depressed, but keep going. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. an interesting book. Well, We'll, we'll move on from there. So at any rate, I did get into the medical field from an administration perspective and did that for about 12 years. And, and I knew just based on my, my personal circumstances at the, at the time with younger children that that was probably all that I was going to be doing, at least for the foreseeable future. And it, it had a lot of restrictions and you know parameters around it that wasn't really what appealed or brought me into medical in the first place. But of course, I was there for 12 years. I had, you know, established colleagues and networking and a very secure job and so taking a leap into anything new, especially into an industry that is so completely different in a parking was absolutely scary but terrifying. I actually really like change and so it was it was very exciting and also because I had a personal connection that was giving me the information like this is the pro, this is the con, this is the upside, this is the downside. I had a lot of information that I was able to, you know, analyze to make the decision to come in. So scary. And there was a lot of risk in terms of what if it doesn't work out? Can I fall back into my previous role? Which of course I did build some safety nets for me there and had the opportunity to, should it have not turned out. But um, I, I never obviously took advantage of that and, and have stayed in the industry. And, and I wouldn't have changed anything. Like for those that might be listening that are, you know, thinking of taking a risk, 100% would suggest it. And uh, it's been a really positive thing for me. Uh, I love the story. I'm, I'm getting into the uh, over the hill category and it's, it's got me thinking a lot, but I, I, I'm encouraged to hear stories like that where people maybe make a career change or. Uh, I was reading a book early this year by Frank McCourt. Uh, what was it called? His main one, Angela's Ashes. And, and he wrote, that was his first book and he was 66 when he wrote it. But I love hearing stories like that. I know you weren't necessarily talking about age. Uh, I saw something on social media, one of those inspirational things about, you know, maybe I want to get my doctorate, but I'm 36. And that means I'm not going to be, it's not going to be till I'm 40 till I get my doctorate, you know? But if you don't, you're going to be 40 and not have a doctorate, you know? So yeah. it's like, it's never, it's never too late. It, I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling, but I, I just inspired by your story. Um, again, you're, 
you're still young. So you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you could probably start four more uh, industry changes in, in your career. But I don't know. I just think there's listeners out there that may be afraid to make that jump or switch because you know it's going to take me five years to learn the industry. By then, I'm going to be 50. By then, mm-hmm. I'm going to be 60. But you could still be in the same boring job or not happy with what you're doing should you do nothing. So yeah, uh, quality of life, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I, for one, uh, am very thankful that you made that change and now are in the parking industry and on the parking podcast. I know someone else is probably uh, very happy that you made the change to the parking industry. You actually are married to someone in the parking industry. One of my favorite (laughs) people, Nathan. I don't know how much you want to talk about that, but I, I would like to say kind of, I want to hear the pros and cons, you know? I mean, is it, is there this common understanding? Do you guys work together on certain projects? What's it like being married to another very talented person in the same industry? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And there are pros and cons. Absolutely. I could start with the pros. So Nathan and I are originally from two separate countries. He's American citizen. I'm Canadian citizen. And so working together actually provided us an opportunity to see each other more than we would have had we been in other industries. Well, first off, we wouldn't have met, but we had younger children when we met. We had uh, custody agreements that held us to the countries and the cities that we were raised in. So we couldn't, neither one of us could move to the other's country and city permanently. So we were constantly hopping back and forth and having the opportunity to meet at sales conferences, working for the same company for a number of years, or parking conferences and different you know, meetings and whatnot afforded us more opportunity to see each other. And to the point of, did we work on projects together? So he, I've worked for a couple of different companies. He's worked for a couple of different companies. So based on the positions that we've had, that sort of ebbed and flowed. When we first met, we were both working for digital payment technologies was the name at the time, but he, he moved on a couple of years later to a mobile payment provider. And there was a lot of synergies there that we were able to create and work on opportunities together. But then, you know, as he moved into a different field and, and I've come into pay by phone, then, you know, those opportunities have definitely lessened. But we still have a lot of the same combined friendships that we've made through the industry. We have the opportunity to share industry knowledge and bounce ideas off each other. But then the con of that is that shop talk often never stops. And we've had to sometimes sit down and say, okay, we have to stop talking (laughs) about parking. We have to stop, you know, talking about the people that we know in parking and find other things, you know, that, um, to, to fill our time and, and talking. And then the other con is using a, a familiar term like church and state and keeping it a bit separate. We have had to have times where we've drawn a line in the sand because perhaps he's working on a project with one of my competitors or vice versa. And we have to keep that information very separate and you know wear that very agnostic hat when it comes to approaching our clients and, and our companies and our partners in the industry, because it is you know, a very small industry. And uh, we, we had reputations, you know, we have reputations to maintain an integrity. And then the only other one I would say in terms of a con is that when we first met, we were both working for the same company in the same industry. And it was around a time where there was a lot of changes to the economy and 
And um, we were like, all of our eggs are in one basket. This is maybe not the wisest idea. So we probably need to diversify a bit, which we ended up doing. But all in all, I am super grateful to have come into the industry. Otherwise, I just absolutely would have never met him. Oh, man, we're going to have to replay <laughs> this on uh, Valentine's Day. <laughs> my Valentine's special love in the time of parking. No, because oh, right. <laughs> there's actually a lot of I had Ken Smith on the uh, podcast a few months back, but he met mm-hmm. his wife in the parking industry. Um, Laura Lears. Uh, there's several people. Brandy that, Stanley. Yeah. Jim Brandy. Dufon. That would be another yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. So we, there's a, hey, we need, there's women in parking, young people in parking, veterans in parking. You know, we're going to start the loving parking group and that's right. Start, start yeah. make money <laughs> off that. Uh, no, that's great. But yeah, there's been times where I've, you know, had my wife we'd read this email because i'm pretty annoyed and she's she's pretty good at at telling me when i'm being rude or passive aggressive or (laughs) so but it would be cool to like you know you're waiting in line in traffic and how would you deal with this parking problem in a university and uh, you guys can do that but but i get it yeah you've you've got to be able to shut it off and find other Mm -hmm. interests because otherwise it would be going on forever but really cool Mm -hmm. i can't wait to get uh, Nathan on the podcast one day, but uh, I love that story. And, and 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 another person who's loved that you're in the parking industry is Romy. So you work for Romy and pay by phone. We'll get into that in a minute. What's it like working for Romy? Because he was also a previous guest on the parking podcast. Mm-hmm. Working for Romy is a really exceptionally positive experience. And I've heard this from so many of the people that have worked with and for him. So I know I'm not alone in that sentiment. I had the opportunity of working with with Romy, like alongside him coming in, you know, to specific to specific deals with him as a technology provider for companies that he's worked for in the past. So I did have a lot of knowledge of how he was, what his sort of work ethic was. And I, I didn't come into it blindly, that's for sure, but it's it's exceeded all of the expectations that I had coming in. So in terms of some specifics, he is he's an incredibly loyal person. I, I'm sure you know that just having known him yourself, but he's very, very supportive in people's growth and and also in people's learning. And and with learning comes making mistakes, right? So what I what I really appreciate about him is that he gives me enough leeway to make decisions and sometimes they're the wrong decisions, but he's always very supportive in the decisions that I've made. And and sometimes it's like, okay, what what could we have done differently next time? Is a high level of expectation for you to do better next time. So I'm not saying that he's complacent, but he will he will support. He has your back, and then he will help you correct course if he sees you know that the course needs correcting. So that's one thing that I really really appreciate. And then the second one that I would mention is early on when I moved to pay by phone, I had the opportunity of attending some leadership and management training. And one of the sections of it was talking about how you you want to, in your professional life specifically, look for three different types of people that will help you and guide you through your career. And one which we hear of a lot is a mentor, somebody that can share their past experiences that you can perhaps mimic and, and have successes. The second being a coach, somebody who can you know really ask those pointed and thoughtful questions to draw out as much experience and um, knowledge and, and ideas out of you for success. 
And then the third one, which I hadn't really thought of much in the past, is a sponsor. And a sponsor is somebody who is going to insert you into situations that might be a stretch task or a stretch goal for you. They might put your name forward for special task forces within a company, or they might put you forward to be presenting in a speaking spot at a conference, or they might be just putting your name forward for a promotion and saying this person is you know, capable of doing this even when perhaps you don't think you are. So my point in saying all this is that I had previously not had very much experience at all working with a sponsor. And Romy just lives sponsorship. He is constantly opening doors of opportunities and kind of pushing you a little bit forward. He doesn't need to be in the spotlight. He's happy to have his team members in the spotlight. And he's very happy to you know, sign me up for something that maybe I don't even think I could do, but he has a high level of confidence in. And I, I really appreciate that as I'm in the period of my career that I really want to see a lot of growth and development and, and new opportunities and, and skill and knowledge learning. Yeah, I love that. I love that term sponsor. And I've had one in my life, in my career, Mr. Steve Resnick. I think you know him mm, from, from SWAFTA, but mm-hmm. he's that's him in a nutshell. Just you know, it's, I almost feel undeserving sometimes when they, they puts all the attention on me, or like you said, puts me in for that promotion or position or uh, recognize me for an award. And it's just, it's, it's so, so heartwarming just to have someone that almost goes out of their way to support you or to see you succeed. And that's the type of people that I'll follow anywhere. Uh, Absolutely. That's great. All right. And so you're with Romy, you're at pay by phone. I know a lot of cities or operations, they, you know, when COVID first started happening, it was contactless, can't have touch points, let's go mobile payments on everything. But on the same side, a lot of cities or universities weren't charging. So there's no revenue coming in. But I guess what's it kind of like now? Is it everyone got used to mobile payments and now it used to be? 25% 25% utilization and now like the average is way higher or is it now going back to normal? People still paying the meter kind of, I don't know, what, what's what's been your take on, on consumer behavior now with the mobile payments versus paying at a, at a meter or a pay station? So it's been an interesting yin and yang through COVID because to your point, a lot of you know consumers obviously drive a lot of decisions in you know public and private entities. And so consumers were screaming out for these touchless options. And inherently, that's what pay by phone or any sort of mobile payment is. And so we were actually able to acquire a fairly large number of new new logos, new, new clients, whatever the term is that you would use, new agencies. But then, of course, the users weren't there because there were so many restrictions in coming into downtown areas and going into restaurants and bars. So we had a really successful time in terms of gaining more of a client base, but since we are a transactional business, we d- definitely you know felt the the hit just like a lot of different businesses yeah. did. So it was a, <laughs> yeah, a lot of um, if I can, yeah, a lot of new people using it, trying a lot of new users, but a lot, a lot, lot, lot less transactions. That's because, right. Yeah. So it's so it's 
the pros and cons, yin yeah. and yang, as you put it. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. And we get to see all the data. So it's really interesting. We could see previously, you know, one of what we would call a power user, how many times they use the app in a month and how that decreased. But to your point, all of a sudden, you know, we were able to capture so many more, more users just on a lesser basis. To go back to one of your questions in terms of, you know, what are we seeing now and what are we seeing the difference in consumer behavior being? Very, very quickly, we were able to see that as cities and universities and operators started getting people back in in their lots and, and on their streets, the percentage. So we we refer to it as adoption, the percentage of people using a touchless option was definitely increasing quite dramatically in the 10s and the 20s and the 30s in some cases. So while volume was still lower, more people were making the choice to come over to a, a mobile option, which speaks to the long-term you know, impact and quite frankly, benefit that will come of working for a technology company such as pay by phone. Yeah. I, you know, that, that makes sense. And kind of what I thought, just as I said, every old person in America learned to <laughs> learn to order food on their phone. Mm-hmm. Or my neighbors are like 80. We had a little get together this week, the cul-de-sac uh, taco dinner and, and they, they order their groceries on Instacart. And I just, I don't know. They just didn't seem the type that would be ordered using Instacart, but yeah. because of COVID, everyone learned that. And at the same time, preschoolers, four or five-year-olds learned how to use Zoom for, for school. And my, my sixth grader knows how to change his background and I don't on Zoom. So it's, it, it's funny how, uh, anyways, what I'm getting at is, yeah, I could see more people now comfortable that used to not use it, but again, less people coming downtown, more people working from home, more of the hybrid approach. So uh, that's a very interesting. What so I know you know you kind of touched on the future and the consumer changes, but but what else? You know we've heard different themes. I had Jim Corbett on the podcast a few months back, and he wrote an article about you know cities moving to mobile payments only. I've seen you do some webinars on putting in paid parking. We we both have experience with that, but there's concerns, you know, equity or 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 whatnot having a meter option. I've seen that trend. I've seen trends about uh, the multi-app. You know, we're starting to see some cities flirt with that or do that more, more like the European model. You could pay five different apps, envia collapse. Again, I don't. I hate to throw uh, so much at you, but I, I'll try to narrow it down to one question. Kind of what, what do you see as pay by phone's biggest opportunities moving into 2022? So we have the benefit of being a global company. As you may know, we're in 12 different countries and a lot of the countries that we're in are in Europe. And so we've been able to watch those trends over the last 10 and 20 years. And and yes, we tend to adopt them in North America, slightly slower than than our friends over the pond. So the the idea of choice of multi-vendor, multi-app, whatever it is that you want to call it, is coming here. It is likely coming here to stay. It's not right for every environment. And it's much like, you know, many different technologies and concepts in in any industry, especially parking. It's not a one size fits all. So there's a few different things that you want to look at to see whether it's going to be right for you. But um, that is definitely one of the continuing large opportunities that that we have to be able to offer our services in, in streets that currently right now might be using one of the other 
providers and, and offering that choice. And the other one that you touched on is, and I know this has been mentioned before as a, a concept of called asset light. Uh, it can also be called asset right. There's there's many different ways to define it or to call it, but that is an idea of moving away from the more antiquated concepts of payment hardware and you know with a very high capital cost and operational costs and and going with something that is more appropriate to consumer usage, but also providing option for those that might not have the same opportunity to get to banking and technology. And we still see that group needing to be serviced. I believe it was in, on a recent podcast, you were talking about the amount of mobile phones that are in North America, you know, US specifically. And you had, or I, I was listening to somebody speak a couple of weeks ago. I believe it was Brian Jones with UBC. And, and the question was, do you see technology payments shifting to in-car or staying on the phone? And we obviously at Pay by Phone were purchased by Volkswagen Financial Services a number of years ago. And they obviously are, you know, the largest OEM and they visualize there being interaction with payments for parking in the car. Otherwise, they would not have, you know, purchased Pay by Phone. But his point was that not everybody, A, has a car, but not everybody's beside their car at all times. Like my car right now is parked downstairs. Your car is probably parked in your garage, wherever it is, but we have our phones no more than like 10 inches away from us at all times. So I do firmly believe in agreement with Brian that the vast majority of payments are going to continue coming through the phone. And, you know, whether those links will start becoming more and more prevalent in the head unit of a vehicle, I do think that will happen. But the the need for a mobile payment in a phone is just not going away anytime soon. And our tagline at Pay by Phone, we've just recently had a rebranding, is simplifying your journey. And so, you know, we're looking constantly at the whole journey from start, middle to finish, and how we can be creating features and, and opportunities to engage and service the consumer and obviously benefit the agency, you know, that implements us. But that was, you know, a very long rambling answer to a really long and uh, multifaceted question, Isaiah. (laughs) No, that's great. I love that tagline of simplify your journey. That's awesome. So how can listeners learn more or follow along with pay by phone? Well, they can come to our website, paybyphone.com. We are very very active on Instagram. So you can find us there. In fact, we have a number of different Instagram uh, accounts depending on the market that you're interested in. So we've got one over in France and UK and of course, North America. So there's lots of different interesting things you can see there, as well as being very active on LinkedIn. So you could find us on LinkedIn. So those are those are the three main places uh, that you can find information. And of course, you can always reach out to any of us. We're a pretty friendly group. And always happy to provide information. Yes, they're wonderful. I, I've used Pay by Phone personally on my travels. I have used them as a client and can't speak highly enough about Carmen, Romy, the team at Pay by Phone. So definitely reach out to Carmen if you're interested in a mobile payment application. All right. Another thing about you is you have your cat 
credentials. I think my like last 20 podcast guests have all been part of the CAP community. I'm on the board. Mm-hmm. It's special to me. Um, but tell us about your experience with CAP and you're a pretty recent graduate. Yes, I was a graduate in 2020, but because I wrote the test in 2019, I've actually already done my recertification. So I am now officially CAP until 2025, which is exciting. So I got interest in CAP very quickly into coming into the industry. And of course, you know, there's there's certain requirements that you need to fulfill to be able to be eligible. By the time I had fulfilled those, I was in a position working in sales for a technology provider that made it really challenging for me to to go into CAP for the reason of a lot of the in-person education and training sessions were during the main IPMI conference. And they would be from you know nine in the morning until four in the afternoon. And that's the time when my employer needed me on the trade show floor in the exhibit halls. So I wasn't able to do it for a number of years. And it was when IPMI made the choice to do more virtual training and some self-learning and provide materials for people to be a little bit more autonomous in how they got the information that really opened that door for me to be able to do it. So that was a game changer for me. And I, I am continue to be very thankful for it. There's the value uh, that you get. Sorry. I was going to say, no, thank you for saying that. Cause I was on the cat board and, and for those listeners that don't know, it's a parking certification and you used to have to you know go to these classes as she said they were required mandatory they cost very expensive uh, they would have them during the IPMI trade show so you would miss out on a lot of the the trade show other classes networking so um, there was pros and cons but that was one of the negatives that a lot of the vendors couldn't participate and then people that couldn't afford or didn't have the means or support from leadership to fly out to Vegas for for a cap required class couldn't test. So mm-hmm. we moved to kind of like Carmen said, you can you can still do these classes. They're optional. They're not required. You can still network through them, but you can also do self-learning online webinars and test it without having to spend 10 grand on travel for a few years. So so they were, you know, we got a lot of people loved it, a few few complaints, but over and all, oh all in all, especially what happened a few years ago, COVID happened. So it was kind of a a blessing in disguise that we made that change that early. But yeah, thank you, Carmen, for yeah. saying that. Yeah. And thank Carmen, you. you're welcome. So when you're not cold calling and selling the heck out of uh, pay by phone, what do you like to do for fun? I think I know one of them, but let's see what you, you come up with. Hmm. Okay. So in no particular order, except in a particular order, travel is like the first thing that both Nathan and I are constantly thinking about. We we love going into other cultures and experiencing their their food, their religions, their you know landscape. All of those things are of of high interest to us. But you know that's been limited a little bit in the last few years. Yeah, uh, we're also very food centric. So outside of you know experiencing other cultures, we both love to cook. We love to go and experience new restaurants and sort of. Um, you know, tasting menus and and trying all sorts of different things. And we love hosting. So being able to cook a big meal and bring people over, usually it's, you know, themed. Sometimes it involves costumes and games, and that's a big part of our social life. And uh, outdoor activities, we love hiking, biking. This summer, we actually bit the bullet and bought a couple of blow-up 
stand-up pedal boards. And so that's been really fun to get out. We've got a lot of opportunity in, at least in Canada, when we're in Vancouver to do that. And, you know, all of this is, is focusing around family and friends. Like we travel with family and friends and we host family and friends. And so every, you know, extracurricular activity we do is layered on with our kids and um, our extended family and our friends. Yeah. I love every one of your answers. It was we, 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 you know, the family, Nathan. So that's, that's awesome to hear. And that was, I did guess one of them, right? Because um, I remember on one of these webinars, they talked about cooking with Carmen and you talked about how you oh, like to right. host and cook. And <laughs> yeah. so I, I knew that was uh, something we had to you, do virtually you through, yeah. through COVID. Yeah. yeah that's, that's hilarious. Well, Carmen, thank you so much. Thanks for all you've done for the industry. We didn't really talk about it much, but I know you've been involved with different uh, boards, IPMI, CAP. Um, appreciate your, your volunteer work to uh, expand the uh, parking knowledge and appreciation out there. And thank you so much for joining the podcast. It was an honor. Oh, the honor was all mine. Thank you so much again for inviting me. This episode is brought to you by Parker Technology, the customer experience solution of choice in the parking industry. Parker Solution puts a virtual ambassador in every lane to help parking guests pay and get on their way in under a minute. Parker helps capture revenue, provides better customer service, enables your staff to focus on other on-site tasks, and keeps traffic moving, all according to your business rules. With the Parker Solution, you'll also enjoy access to real-time call data and recordings. Learn more at helpmeparker.com slash parkingpodcasts. I have one thought. This is original thought. I'm not some conspiracy theorist. I'm not political. I'm not trying to be weird, but I want to throw this out there. I, I do think as like, you know, the more kids are staring at these black screens all day and we're connected. And I think the more not government tracking, but just the, the more data that's being shared. I do think, I don't know if it would be like a religious or <laughs> I honestly believe that there'll be people that start ditching the phones. I think it'd be very hard because I think your driver's license, passport, everything's going to be on your phone in the future, which I think is going to scare people and they're going to try to be anti-phone or go back to a flip phone. That's very strange and very weird. I don't hmm. know if you've ever heard of that, it, but this I do. Is wild and crazy, <laughs> yes. I have to say. Yes. And I hope you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially for a mobile payment company. I, I don't know. I just... Because sometimes we have this little kid safe thing, like we're those parents, but you have to like, you can put the electronics in this like little child vault thing and you lock it for one hour. Okay. No electronics for one hour. But sometimes I put my phone in there because I'm like, I just can't, I don't know. I want to go outside or I want to read. Yeah. Data cleanse or (laughs) a device cleanse. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I I think I I, I could see, I could see a group of people starting some kind of ditch the phone. Anyways, we don't need to get into that. I hope I probably edit all this out because I'm not one of these weird conspiracy theorists. But I I just thought (laughs) that may be a challenge as you know, when you think about cities going mobile payment only. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll start seeing again government, you know, taxes and more and more to your phone. And and I just think there's going to be more people than you think that start ditching their phones, which sounds really strange, but I think in like 20 years I'd be like, Isaiah said that on the podcast once. So you might need to save that just like (laughs) that as a soundbite for your prophecy for the future. (laughs) Exactly. 
I wonder if perhaps like my counter argument to that would be is I think there'll be more and more data security and privacy security and and ways that the user can lock themselves out of some of that, you know, scary, scary noise. That would be, well, that would be my preference. And that would be where I think that consumer trends would go instead of ditching it altogether. I don't know. I'm personally so dependent. You could ask Nathan and he would, (laughs) he would um, confirm that statement. I'm so dependent on my phone that I couldn't see I couldn't see there being a scenario in which I ever got rid of it. I, you know, I, I haven't paid attention to a street name or highway name in decades because when I drove, I was, you know, cell phones were coming out. So it's like I, I was thinking, you know, I'm I'm not going to bring my phone with me. And then I got lost and needed Google Maps, and it's like you you just realize how dependent you are on it. But no, I mean, you know, there's it's showing like kids' brains. They just dopamine messages for notifications and you know different. Their, their hands and necks just from staring at these things are starting to, it's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. But anyways, yep. I, I don't, I'm not trying to be strange. Well, there's definitely downside. Yeah. But there's just, definitely downside. Uh, yeah. I think the mm-hmm. benefits outweigh the cons. I'm just mm-hmm. saying, I, I do think that one thing we're not prepared for is that people stop using them. Maybe as we get more autonomous, more connected, I could just see certain people being weirded out. And you're right. Maybe it's, you know, there's some reform on privacy tracking location, you know, all that stuff that scares Mm -hmm. us. Well, I just saw a report like Instagram knew Instagram was harmful for kids. They found all these studies and yet they didn't do anything about it. Did nothing about it. Just keep promoting. Yeah. So anyways, I'm not leading the revolution. I'm not interested in it, (laughs) but I just think that's something we need to be prepared for.